0: Seven is a special season. Um, we, we would do well to explain it more than we often do. Um, you know the wreath that you've seen up here, too. It has a tradition, actually dating back to the 1800s in, in, here in Germany, in Hamburg, Germany, where there was a, a, a husband and wife who simply led a children's home. And to be able to uh, explain to the children the significance of Christmas and to help them anticipate Christmas, they found a wagon wheel. And in that wagon wheel, they would on the four spokes they would light four candles, and the children would say, "Well, only four days to Christmas." And the little children said, "No." And the, the caretaker said, "No, we need—it's actually twenty-some days to Christmas." So he put little red candles around the whole wagon wheel to help under, to explain the significance of this Advent tradition. Of course, in Advent, we've been been, been praying, and, and many have fasted for many years before, way before the 1800s. But this Advent wreath has still taken significance here, in in modern churches today. And today we have the four candles as you see here. We have a prophecy candle, a Bethlehem candle, a shepherd's candle that, ex- that expresses joy. It has the rose color, which Ryan will be speaking about next week. An angel candle of peace, a Christ candle in the middle. So as you celebrate Advent with us, as you slow down, remember first the physical Advent, the birth of Jesus Christ. But don't miss... The living presence of Jesus coming to you personally. Personally, personally, and spiritually. That is what Advent truly means. So with that thought, let's stand and let's sing. Let's sing our first hymn together. 245, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. be seated hey good morning welcome it's good to see you on this uh, truly december day thank you for coming and joining us for uh, for our chapel family worship today i hope i sincerely hope that you can slow your pace i i sincerely hope that you can think upon things that matter today and that's why we gather as god's people today i welcome our visitors see um The Porter family has some family in town. I know all of you have some family perhaps in town too. So thank you for coming and just celebrating Sunday, the Lord's Day of Resurrection with us. Um, A couple announcements I just want to share with you because it is a busy time of the week and I want you to remember some important things going up. Um, If you can come tomorrow night um, where all the bakers are invited, all the good cooks, all the people who love to show other people love by their baking. So in this room next door, right over here at 1830 in the evening, Elizabeth and a a whole lot of teenagers and some parents too are are baking and cooking with the intent to give. And so, as you might participate in this, and I thought to you, as you see new neighbors coming in town, as those moving trucks are still in your neighborhood coming and going, as I know there are in ours as well, pause. Take time to meet people intentionally and thoughtfully. If you can't bake tomorrow night, do something loving as best as you can for the neighbors wherever God has placed you. Um, you are important as a Christian. You bear the name of the Lord Jesus Christ on you as through the baptism of the Holy Spirit and who you walk as a Christian, so wear that calling high and, and proudly. A thought, too, if you're a lady and, you, and if you're a young lady, please come out and celebrate what Protestant women of the chapel are doing this coming week as well on the 8th, 6 to 9 p.m., over at the firehouse, Firehouse is this garrison building that's right outside of Panzer. It's right outside the gate. You have to go off post to get to it. It's right along the back fence. Um, but a lot of ladies are gathering, and they're, they're pausing to do what we ought to do in Christmas, and that's sing and to celebrate and to eat and enjoy each other and to have friendships. So if you can make it, please come to that as well. Also, we've been preparing for Christmas Eve, and we've, we've got some good plans coming in for us, So please please join us if you can. 4 p.m. on Christmas Eve, um, we have some storytellers that will help you understand the Christmas story all the more better. So so there's that thought. So with that thought, um, let's stand and sing another song, shall we? Let's stand and sing number 251. Um, It came upon a midnight clear. Please be seated.
1: Our Old Testament reading is from Isaiah chapter 63, verses 7 through 9. Isaiah 63, verses 7 through 9, and that's found on page 530 of your Pew Bibles. I will tell of the kindnesses of the Lord, the deeds for which he is to be praised, according to all the Lord has done for us, yes, the many good things he has done for the house of Israel, according to his compassion and many kindnesses. He said, surely they are my people, sons who will not be false to me. And so he became their savior. In all their distress, he too was distressed. And the angel of his presence saved them. In his love and mercy, he redeemed them. He lifted them up and carried them all the days of old. Our New Testament reading is from Romans, chapter 15. Romans 15, it's on page 805 in your Pew Bibles. Romans 15, verses 4 through 13. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Christ Jesus, so that with one heart and mouth you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another, then, just as Christ accepted you, In order to bring praise to God. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth, to confirm the promises made to the patriarchs, so that the Gentiles may glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles, I will sing hymns to your name. Again, it says, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and sing praises to him, all you peoples. And again, Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will spring up, one who will arise to rule over the nations. The Gentiles will hope in him. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is the word of the Lord.
0: Thank you, Jody. We read in Romans today, um, and we also read in Isaiah. I, I want you, I hope us as a chapel that we appreciate the breadth of scripture that we that we, that we try to read each week, too. It allows us to experience the Old Testament and the New Testament. And in our New Testament reading today, in the book of Romans, you heard that word Gentiles. And just for a moment, I want us to make sure we understand the gravity of what that word mean. Gentiles means nations. It means the people who were not the Jewish chosen race that God had chosen to be his witness throughout time. And let the thought sink in today that, just <clears throat> that all of us, who are probably not Jewish here, are naturally born in other nations. We are we are Gentiles. In the nation we are the recipients. We are the uh, the. Uh, how do I say? It? We are the. We are so thankful that we can be uh, the privilege of knowing God and His Word too, in a way that uh, perhaps nations had not done in many years past. So we, as Gentiles, let's stand on the shoulders of the Jewish race that has stand before us, and 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 realize the promise has been filled even among us. One last thought, too, as you read Isaiah 2, as we have a time of confession. Notice the words that Isaiah brought out in Scripture. The loving kindness, the compassion of God. What a a privilege that we can know the true character of the living God by, by reading the Scriptures of old and enjoying His loving kindness. May we... May we sincerely take God's character and own it and display it to our community where we live. Let's take a moment of just thoughtful silence together, confess our sin uh, privately to the Lord too, but also contemplate on the privilege that we have of being witnesses of the Lord Jesus Christ as nations. God, our Father, our best offering is ourselves, our our living bodies, um, living out the good works that you intend us to live in our communities, in our offices, in our families, among the most difficult people. Lord, help us be your light. We sincerely desire that this week, among among Stuttgart, amongst this body of Christ, may you use the humble chapel family. Um, here at Patch, the ones over at Panzer, the one at Robinson's that meets too, our Catholic brothers and sisters across the hall. God, use your believers. Use the off-post churches we pray for Trinity, Stuttgart Mission Community Church, uh, Stuttgart Bible Church, all of the, I- the IBC International Baptist Church. God, use the collective witness of your people this week, and especially this Christmas season, to be, to be ever mindful and intentional, to be displaying your loving kindness. God, the money that we collect today may be used for your good purposes. We're thankful that the money collected last week was spent to the Voice of the Martyrs, at least $600. Thank you for that money. And, uh, and we pray that, uh, that our offering today would be uh, well spent. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. enjoyed uh, reading the prayers that you have given us over the last uh, couple weeks. And those of you who might be new, I just, I want to say what we do during this time of the service, we, um, it's, we enjoy reading the prayers that you have given us. Um, they were written down past October and uh, November. We've collected them to a document of about 95 or about, I'm sorry, there are only about 65 prayers, but we have a, a, uh, some that we might read today. Um, and as we read them, I invite you just to pray with us from your from where you're seated, um, and uh, and pray. Lord, I give thanks for the forgiveness and the salvation given freely to all who chose to accept it. I pray for those who have not yet chosen to accept this gift that they may come to know the Lord's mercy. Thank you, Lord, for saving me and my sins. Please help me to have the courage and the right words to share this free gift of salvation and forgiveness with my coworkers and acquaintances and friends and families. Another person writes, Lord, I give thanks for all of the people in the Stuttgart area, and I pray that you continue to make your presence known to us. I pray that your children in this area would be willing and be able to proclaim your love and your will to the lost people around them. This person cites Hebrews 13, verse 5. The Lord says he will never leave us. And the Lord says he will never forsake us. So, Lord God, I ask that your presence be with the Stuttgart community. We know that your word said that you will never leave us nor forsake us. Please let our community be keenly aware of your presence you the actions of your people, especially the people of our chapel family, a recurring thought in our prayer isn 't it Just a, a desire to be able to know um, to know the lost people in our community to be able to love them well with through our action and deeds. May that be the true heartbeat of our chapel family this week i 'd also like to mention something interesting I was thinking about this morning we have um, you we have the privilege of having an Air Force chaplain and a Navy chaplain and Army chaplains here together in one service. It doesn't usually happen that way. And today's uh, sermon will be given by um, a man I hope you get to know over the, well, the next couple of years or so while he's here. This is Chaplain Chris, uh, Chris lapack He's the UCOM chaplain. And uh, I thought it was just real special that we could share this pulpit together with an Air Force and a Navy chaplain and an Army chaplain together. That's just very rare these days. So, sir, thank you for coming and preaching today.
2: Find that clicker. Where did I put it? <laughs> oh yeah, the clicker. Where is the clicker? See if the clicker works. There we go. Well, listen to Eric and Ryan. You know, I sure appreciate um, the, the fact that you would share this pulpit with me and uh, to see everybody out there. What, a, what an amazing uh, congregation, community, body of Christ, church. And, and that's really much more than just the, the worship service, right? It's, it's that community, it's that church. That, uh, that our Lord wants to bring together. So what a joy it is to see you. Uh, I'm, we're continuing through the Psalm of Ascents this week. And today we're on Psalm 130. I'm going to read that. And if you'd like to follow along, it's on page 442 in the Pew Bible. And Psalm 130 says, Out of the depths I cry to you, Lord. Lord hear my voice let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy if you Lord kept a record of sins Lord who could stand but with you there is forgiveness so that we can with reverence serve you I wait for the Lord my whole being waits and in his word I put my hope I wait for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning more than watchmen wait for the morning. Israel, put your hope in the Lord. For with the Lord is unfailing love. And with Him is full redemption. He Himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. Amen. So Psalm 130, a song of ascents. Probably sung as the Jewish people traveled from to Jerusalem from wherever they were. For one of the great pilgrim feasts of Israel. Its natural association here is with the Day of Atonement. We learn about the Day of Atonement in Leviticus chapter 16. You can read that uh, at lunch after the service, if you like. Leviticus chapter 16. There we learn of the two goats, one for sacrifice and one for scapegoat. The goat for slaughter is the sin offering. Whose blood is spilt on the atonement cover, the tent of meetings, and the horns of the altar to atone for the uncleanness and the rebellion of the Israelites, whatever their sins have been. And once the blood has consecrated the altar and made atonement for the most holy place, the tent of meeting, and the altar, the live goat is brought forward. On the head of the live goat, the high priest lays his hands and he confesses upon it all of the wickedness and the rebellion of the Israelites, all of their sins are placed on the goat's head. The scapegoat is then sent away into the wilderness where it carries on itself all of their sins away to a remote place. Now this feast took place every year on the 10th day of the 7th month as a lasting ordinance to make atonement for all of the sins of the Israelites. This is the historical context of Psalm 130, a psalm of ascents. Jesus probably sung this song as he made pilgrimage from Nazareth to Jerusalem. And he would have known that both the song and the feast are ultimately about him. Jesus is both our sin offering and our scapegoat at the same time. He gives his life as a sin offering, he spills his blood while at the same time he bears all of our sins and he takes them far away to a remote place as far as the east is from the west. This is the Christian context of Psalm 130, a psalm of ascent. So let's get into it. We'll read again. Out of the depths I cry to you, Yahweh, Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to to my cry for mercy. If you, Yahweh, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? And so the psalm begins with a cry, a cry out for mercy. It is the spiritual posture of a beggar here that is very, very low. This cry for mercy. From the depths, the psalmist says. It is the blessed posture, according to Jesus, in his famous Sermon on the Mount, where he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs, as in theirs alone, is the kingdom of heaven. It's the poor in spirit as opposed to the haughty in spirit. A posture that understands the devastating consequences of our sin as opposed to a posture that excuses our sin. It is a cry that conveys the complete inability for us to save ourselves as opposed to the narcissistic musing that we have the power to save ourselves. Or even worse, That we don't have anything that we need to be saved from. The Greek word in Jesus' sermon for poor denotes to cower and cringe like a beggar. In classical Greek, it came to mean someone who crouches about wretchedly begging. It denotes a poverty so deep that the person must obtain his living by begging He is fully dependent upon the giving of others. He cannot survive without help from the outside. And so, an excellent translation of Potokoi in Jesus' sermon, Blessed are the Poor in Spirit, is beggarly poor. D.A. Carson says that poverty of spirit then is the personal acknowledgement of spiritual bankruptcy. John Wesley said that a person who is poor in spirit has a deep sense of loathsome leprosy of sin, which he brought with him from his mother's womb, which overspreads his whole soul and totally corrupts every power and faculty thereof. It is only from this posture of a beggarly poor, wretched, loathsome spiritual bankruptcy, will our cry for mercy be heard. The cry here is to the Lord. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, all capital letters. That means that the word is translated here, Lord, is actually Y-H-W-H, transliterated from the Hebrew, Yahweh. Yahweh, the personal name of our God. Used here in verse 1 and verse 3 and twice in verse 7. Out of the depths I cry to you, Yahweh. Only Yahweh can save us from our sins. In verse 3, the word used here for sins is often translated iniquities. It is the deepest and the most inward of the Old Testament words For sin, it represents the corruption of our human hearts. If Yahweh kept a record of our iniquities, our inward sinful corruption, who could stand? It is a rhetorical question. And the obvious answer being, if Yahweh kept a record of our iniquities, no one could stand. No one could stand if there was no atonement. No one could stand if there was no scapegoat. No one. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, Romans three twenty-three. For surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me, Psalm fifty-one five. The wages of sin is death, Psalm Romans six twenty-three. And that's what they learned. On the feast day, the day of atonement, when the goat was killed, when the goat's blood was spilt, they learned that the wages of sin is death. Verse 4. But with you there is forgiveness, so that we can with reverence serve you. I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits. And in his word, I put my hope. I wait for the Lord. More than watchmen wait for the morning. More than watchmen wait for the morning. You see, the wages of sin is what the sacrificial goat taught. But with Yahweh, there is forgiveness. And that is what the scapegoat taught. The scapegoat took on the burden of all their sin and carried it far away. But why? Why does God provide the scapegoat? Why does God forgive our iniquities? So that we can misuse his grace as a license for immorality? Ah, he'll forgive us anyway, so why not sin away and freely serve ourselves? Certainly not. Or as the Apostle Paul put it in Romans 6-2, by no means shall we misuse the grace of a scapegoat. The psalmist says, but with you there is forgiveness. Why? So that we can, with reverence, serve you. You see, we are never only being saved from something. We're always being saved for something or to something. We're not just being saved from our sin, from our depravity, from hell, from judgment, from lostness, from lack of purpose. Yes, we are sa- being saved from all of those things, but why? We're also being saved for something. Something. We're being saved for relationship, for wholeness, for purpose, for eternal life. And as the psalmist states, we are being saved to serve God with reverence. God saves us so that we can, with reverence, serve him. And we know that to serve God, the Bible teaches, is to serve one another. And then in verse 5, the psalmist is very excited at this point in the song about this opportunity for forgiveness so that they can in reverence serve. This excited anticipation about the freedom to serve Yahweh once the scapegoat carries away all of their sins. To be forgiven and to be whole once again. Their whole being waits. And he uses this illustration like a a watchman waits for the morning more than a watchman waits for the morning. It's sung twice for emphasis. More than the watchman waits for the morning. Anybody here, security forces? Anybody done security? Anybody done a twelve-hour work shift where you're watching fifty yards to the left and fifty yards to the right? And it's not really a twelve-hour shift, is it? It's a fourteen-hour shift because you got the guard mount before and after. You got the turnover. And I can just imagine that troop sitting on that fence line after eight, nine, 10 hours, how much they anticipate the end of shift, the morning. I've never done that. And so it's a difficult analogy for me. For me, it's more like the anticipation of Christmas Eve, the excitement that I had as a child on Christmas Eve, after we read the Christmas story and my parents set me off to bed and I just couldn't sleep because I knew what was coming in the morning. I couldn't wait. The idea here is wholehearted intensity of longing with confident expectation. I wait For Yahweh, my whole being waits more than a child on Christmas Eve for Christmas morning. And isn't that what this whole religious season is about for us Christians? This Advent season, this Christmas season our excitement and confident expectation in the coming Christ, the birth of Jesus, and what that means for the forgiveness of our sins and the opportunity to then with reverence serve Christ as his bride, as his church. Verse 7. Israel, Put your hope in Yahweh. For with Yahweh is unfailing love and with Him is full redemption. He Himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. Redemption. To redeem something is to pay it off, to purchase in full, or to exchange one thing for another. That's redemption. Redemption in the Bible is God paying off our debt, exchanging his life for our own, taking our place that we deserved on the cross. Redemption is how God saves, by paying a very personal price. We sin our way right into bondage, and there is no way out. If we try to cover it up or make excuses for our sin, we just dig ourselves in deeper and deeper. And so God, Yahweh, offers to get us out of trouble at his own expense. He offers to take on the consequences that we have set in motion. He pays the price so that we don't have to, not that we could anyway. And that's redemption. Yahweh is not only willing to pay the price. He already has. At the cross of Christ. That is what is meant by here. He himself. Will redeem Israel. From all their sins. Not a couple of goats. But the lamb of God. Yahweh himself becoming both the sacrificial goat and the scapegoat at the same time at the cross of Christ. For Jesus is God with us. Emmanuel. Jesus is mighty God. Everlasting Father. Prince of Peace. Isaiah 9.6. It's important to note that God does not redeem us by lowering His standards. God Himself pays the price demanded by His own justice and righteousness. Redemption does not come by God's leniency, but by His justice and His righteousness being fully satisfied in the cross of Christ. The Bible says in Titus 2, verses 13 and 14, that our great God and Savior Jesus Christ gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession. We are redeemed at a cost to God that we will never fully understand. And the decision confronting each of us is, will we turn away from ourselves and our sins and turn to God? New Testament scholar Everett Harrison said, No word in the Christian vocabulary deserves to be held more precious than redeemer. For even more than savior, it reminds the child of God that his salvation has been purchased at a great and personal cost. For the Lord has given himself for our sins in order to deliver us from them you may be wondering why God sacrificed himself. Why it took that. Why did Jesus have to die? And it is because in matters of true love, there is simply no substitute. No substitute will do. The universe's one true God loves you. The universe's one true God loves you. He's proven his love by coming to earth in the person of Jesus, born in a manger, showing us the way to live a godly life that we may follow, and then giving his life on our behalf. With whole being anticipation, we eagerly await the fullness and final fulfillment of our redemption. Amen for Psalm 130. Now we no longer gather annually, I don't, (laughs) for a day of atonement to kill one goat and let another go. If you do that, you might not want to let others know. We don't do that anymore. Those sacrifices could never actually remove our sin. They were just a reminder of the consequences of our sin. So instead, as Christians, we gather as oft we will to celebrate our redemption another way, through what is called the Lord's Supper, the Eucharist, or Communion. And by our participation in this celebration, we remember the sacrifice of Christ on our behalf to pay for our sins. The sins he bore upon himself, removing them from us and taking them far, far away, as far as the east is from the west, so that we might in turn serve him. As his people. So Ryan's going to uh, come up and he's going to lead us in a time of communion for us to celebrate. As you heard the message today, and I want to provide this opportunity if you're not a Christian, not sure if you're a Christian, or know you're not a Christian, and you want to know more about that, there are three chaplains here from three different services. Come and talk to one of us after the service. And we'd love to take you to the side and share with you more. Amen. Right?
3: Thank you, Pastor Chris, for, for your word on Psalm 130. Uh, such a wonderful message of redemption and hope. So with that, I'm going to call our, uh, our ushers forward to distribute the elements. And then I'll talk about the Lord's, the Lord's Supper. As, as you receive the elements, I would like you to hear the word uh, of God regarding why we do this long tradition. Paul was talking to the Corinthian church, and he says this to them. Now, this is a pretty messed up church. It was a church in a place called Corinth that had a lot of issues and a lot of problems. And he was calling them to remember what the Lord has done. He says this, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and verse 23. For what I received from the Lord, what I also passed on to you. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And verse 25 says this. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, and he said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes right after this right after Paul says this he warns the Corinthians that they should not do this what we're about to do in an unworthy manner and he calls them before they do this to examine themselves to look within and to see if there is anything that would that would that they would need to address before the Lord before they did this another background to this is if you know if you know scripture and if you read In John chapter 13, he's also doing this in the midst of his disciples in this room, this upper room, right? Jesus had gone through three years of intense, intense ministry. And as Pastor Eric always says, he slowed it down in this upper room. So I can imagine they were upstairs in a room like this, and he's talking to his disciples. And it's really, really intense because he knows He's about to die. He knows that night one of the disciples is going to betray him. And then right after that, he'd be turned over to the guards. And after that, he would be beaten and he would be whipped. And he would put a a crown of thorns on his head. And it would be a gruesome, horrible death. He knows that. So as he's passing around these elements... This is a new perspective I I have of the lord's table, but you can imagine this with me as he's sitting there and He's he's with his disciples Okay And uh, he starts to get undressed Jesus starts taking off all of his clothes and then he wraps a towel around his waist And then he gets a basin full of water And then he goes and he makes them feel so uncomfortable So uncomfortable because their Lord and their master is about to take the role of the lowest of the lowest slaves. And he's going to wash their feet. This was a common job in the ancient world for the lowest of the lowest slaves to wash other people's feet. So Jesus is half naked. And he gets down on his knees. And he's washing the disciples' feet one by one. This is the same context what we're about to do here. And he comes to Simon Peter and he says, and Simon Peter says, whoa, whoa, Lord. Are you going to wash my feet? You should. My, my king will never wash my feet. And Jesus' words is, if I don't wash you, then you have no part with me. He's saying we're not, not like we're not cool. He's just saying you, we're not on the same page. So he's calling the disciples in the midst of the Lord's Supper to allow him to wash their feet. What does that mean? It means that the disciples were sitting there in this room, in the upper room, doing the Lord's table here and they had to admit that they needed jesus to wash their feet does that does that make sense children children you can imagine this because a lot of the times when we are our own savior we say "No, no, no no i don't i don't i don't need jesus to wash my feet especially in front of others but jesus is saying i want you to admit that that you need me And so by doing this, when we take the bread, when we drink the cup, we're saying to the Lord, "I, I really need you. And I'm admitting that I need you. I love what Pastor Chris said. Why did Jesus have to die? Why did Jesus have to die? He said, because there is absolutely no substitute. Absolutely no substitute. We have to come before Jesus and say, I need you and you alone. You're the only thing I need. He also said we're saved from something that's our own sin and saved to something which is this is what i love about this is when jesus did that it was in the midst of people so when we admit that we need jesus it's always in the midst of people and so other people get to watch us get our feet washed by jesus so as you're with your family as you take these elements i want you to gather as families here and if and if you're by yourself here um, meet with the Lord yourself, or if you want to, gather with the people next to you, whatever, whatever makes you feel most comfortable. And as we take these things we 're going to remember what Jesus has done for us and and we 're going to remember that uh, he 's called us into community. okay So in your in your groups of families, have a little dis, like, a little moment together where you get to confess to one another. Uh, when I do this with my family we 're going to sit down here. And it, it, it'll say, we're going to remember Jesus at this moment. And we're going to bring to him all, all, of the, all of the fights we've had. And maybe maybe even a little time to say sorry to one another before we take these elements. Okay? So why don't you get in your groups here. And um, I'm going to give you a moment to do this by yourself. When you, when you drink the cup, okay, you're remembering Jesus' blood. When you eat the bread, you're remembering his body broken for you. So let, let's do that now. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for, uh, for everything that you've done for us as our Savior. We thank you for Psalm 130. Thank you for, for taking on the sins of the world, for, for being our sacrificial uh, lamb and, and the scapegoat. And We thank you, Lord, that we are saved from our sins, from ourselves. We're saved to uh, do life with one another. We thank you for your body and your blood that reminds us that that you are our only Savior and no other substitute will do. Thank you for this Christmas season, Lord. We patiently wait, wait for your second return for that second Advent. We do this in your most precious name. Amen. In last hymn. Yes. Okay, please stand with us as we turn to our final hymn. Hymn 139, Great is Thy Faithfulness. Is faithful, Lord, for us uh, please receive this benediction. From Jude, verses 24. Now to him who is able to protect you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his holy glory without blemish and with great joy. To the one and only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, power, and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen. As you go in peace, uh, we also invite you to continue this fellowship next door as we break bread with one another. But go in peace, and we'll see you next week. God bless.